Let's turn to the book of Jude, second to the last book of the Bible. And we'll be looking at a considerable chunk of this this morning, verses 5 to 16. And as everyone is getting settled, I just want to thank you all. So many of you were able to come out to not only uh, Bob Hughes's uh, memorial service at Haran McConaughey on Monday, but also Jill Galizia's memorial on uh, on Friday. Words cannot express how much not only that that blessed me as your pastor, but when you all are able to come alongside and be able to bless them and to be that source of comfort and love and support. Um, we sometimes think, well, I didn't really do that much. You'd be surprised about how much your presence means to to those that are struggling and um, dealing with that grief. And we got some more things that are coming up, but uh, it's going to be the same this afternoon that uh, your presence will uh, mean a lot to Aaron and Jillian as they seek to do things uh, in, in the way that God's called them to. Uh, in light of that, Vaughn, I didn't have a chance to tell you this. Um, he announced a members meeting. We're actually going to move that to next week. There's really nothing that has to be taken. All God's people said, right? Uh, um, but, um, but there's really nothing that is really that, um, is that the word? Pressing? One, two, three, pressing. Yeah, there is nothing really that pressing uh, going on for our members meeting. So we're going to wait one one week. And this is, uh, I mean, we've, we've done this before and uh, no one has been worse for wear from it. So this is going to be, uh, give us a time to really just have some time to where we don't have that five o'clock deadline um, afterwards where we can really celebrate and then uh, go home and actually have a Sabbath and, and rest a bit for the week ahead. So uh, Jude chapter Jude chapter one Jude one Jude five verses sixteen. Let's stand as we read his word together. Did you follow that? No. <laughs> all right. Beginning in verse five. Now I want to remind you all, though you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority left their proper dwelling, and he, kept it, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet, in like manner, these people... Also relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding, them, feeding themselves. Waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. Wandering stars, for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. 
It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh son, seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they, may, that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God, you may be seated. So it's important for us to remember who Jude is writing to. He's writing to the church. And so it's to the church that I would ask this question. Which person do you feel would be more dangerous to a church in a church? The one would be someone who is loud and boastful and ready at a moment's notice to tell you exactly what they think, whether it's according to the scriptures or not. They're out there, they are loud, they are proud, and they are not making sure that everybody understands exactly where they are and where you should be. That's one person. The other person is one who comes into a church who is respectful and polite, maybe even dressed according to whatever the cultural norms of the church are. And they begin to be nice, and they're polite, and they're respectful, and they, uh, they, they gain uh, respect, they gain influence, they gain um, just a, a really solid standing in the church to where over time that influence begins to be seen as very uh, detrimental. And yet this person who has meant so much to a church and is undermining the church because of his good record in the church may be listened to a little bit more and it could be detrimental to the entirety of the body. Which do you think is more dangerous? Well, I, I thought about that because in verse 4 where it talks about for certain people have crept in unnoticed. Unnoticed. Sliding into the body of believers, wolves in sheep's clothing. Who long ago were designated for this condemnation. And look how they're described. Ungodly people who pervert, twist, alter, change. The grace of God into sensuality. They think, well, God's okay. I got a blank check when I come to Christ. I can do whatever I want because once saved, always saved, which I do believe in. But in its proper parameters, keep that in mind. Sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. You could have made a decision at one point, but over your life, you show what that decision really was all about. Is it, was it just so you could get to heaven and Jesus could bless you and you could have a great life? Or were you willing to surrender to Jesus regardless of what may come? Because you're going to be living in a world that's against him. Sometimes we can leverage Jesus for our own selfish ends. And that's where we've got to be very, very careful. That's why he's telling us and he's warning the church Christians to contend for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. Not just contending for those that are outside of us unbelievers, but sometimes the worst enemy that we have is ourselves. And we may have to contend against the distractions that come our way. Instead of us knowing the faith that we're supposed to contend for, we know a little bit about it, but did you see that reel on Facebook? Did you see that, you know, whatever it was on Snapchat? Did you see what ju- that commercial that was on TV? Boy, that was a great product. I got to look a little more. You see what can happen? We can get so distracted that we may not know 
what we believe, even as we contend that we do and we love it. So the title of the sermon this morning is Rooted or Uprooted. uprooted. Will you be reminded of what you should already know? Now you say, "I'm I'm not a follower of Jesus. Why would I know this? Well, it's not like it's from a lack of information. We can, we can have accessibility to his word. And it would be really good if you're going to deny something that you know what you're denying. So interacting with what God has called us to do and what God has called us to be. So we get this. And so we get this from verse 5. But I just want to let you know really the three quick points is that we need to be reminded, we need to be rooted, and we need to be reconcilers. We need to be reminded. We need to be rooted. And then we need to be reconcilers. Well, let's be reminded. As I'm reading through this, there may be some of you who have been in church for a long time, and definitely those of you that may not be familiar with the Bible, I have given you a lot of examples from the Old Testament that you may or may not be familiar with. I could take an entire sermon on each of these. I won't do that. What I will do is give you the references for you to look it up on your own, and it would be a really great study for us to dig into. But when you look at verse 5, now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, let me stop right there. I know sometimes, well, I'll just give you a concrete example. So after the leaders retreat, I had a conversation with one of our Sunday school teachers, and he and I were, were kind of commiserating on some things. And one of the things was, is teaching people scriptures, especially people who have been in church world for a long time. Teaching people the scriptures and, may, and, and scriptures that they may have heard over and over and over again be preached. The temptation for us is, well, they've heard this a thousand times. They probably already know it. So I'm going to move on to something else. And yet I read from Jude something that is a reminder to me that I need to be reminding you. Because again, the distractions can happen to where maybe one time we once fully knew it where you knew where Balaam's error was found in Scripture, or what, where you knew what Sodom and Gomorrah was all about. And I don't take that for granted either because there was actually a, um, a survey not too long ago that said, and if you think this, I'm going I'm to correct it, but for, this is for church world, for us to realize that not everybody is going to always remember it, that they thought Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. And that's not so. Sodom and Gomorrah were twin cities, like Minneapolis and St. Paul. They were twin cities in this area, and they went off in a bad way. What you're going to be reminded of is this. Anytime that we decide we are going to live a lifestyle that denies the authority of Christ and defiles the flesh and blasphemes those, that, those things that are holy, it's going to ultimately, unless you repent, it's going to ultimately lead to your destruction. Did you hear me? It's true. Now you say, well, I, well I'm in good shape because I trusted in Christ and I'm good. Yeah, okay, you're living in Denver. Are you surrounded by people, dear Christians, that disagree with that? Of course. We're all confronted with people that may disagree, have different belief systems and all that. But we don't have to ultimately answer to them. There is one who calls us. There's one who cares for us. There's one who keeps us that we have to answer to one day. There, and that's where he's talking about here. We are going to have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an answer. So we need to be reminded. In verses 5 to 7, he brings out three 
issues. One is that of the, of the Exodus, where he's talking about there that Jesus, this is uh, back half of verse 5, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt. Now you're thinking, well, Jesus, now I know the timeline of this. Jesus came along about 1,500 years after the Exodus. On earth, yes, but he always existed as the second person of the Trinity. And it talks about, actually, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 to 5, li- listen to what's said here. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under a cloud and, and passed through the sea. So when the people of Israel were being rescued from Egypt and going into the promised land, the way they knew where to go was that there was a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. When the cloud went, they packed up and went. And you know what it's like to move. That was not an easy thing. So this is 600,000 men, 2 million people that were moving in one herd across the desert to go into the promised land. And because of their disobedience, an 11-month trip took about 40 years because he kept them in the desert until that generation that was mumbling and grumbling and malcontents, they died. I need to move on. If I take this amount of time for each of them, wow, we're going to be here until the wedding. We don't want that, right? Lunch is good. But you see what's happening is that it says here that they were all baptized into in, Moses and the cloud and the sea. I'm in 1 Corinthians 10. And all ate the same spiritual food and drank from the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. So the rock that was there, the cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, that was Jesus. Well, I thought he came at Bethlehem. On, on earth, yes. But there were times when he appeared there in in the Old Testament, but the pillar of fire, the, mar, the manna that came down, that was the bread of life you read in John 6. This, that's Jesus. And it says here that Jesus, which I was confronted recently, you know, well, Jesus is loving. He's not going to tell anybody not to do what they don't want to do. Well, it says here afterward, he destroyed those who did not believe. That's Jesus. That's the Jesus that's on the throne that we're going to stand before. And you see here that there were angels. It talks about in verse 6 that they decided to uh, follow Satan's authority and they were cast out. They were, they, and they're in gloomy chains ready for their destruction. In verse 7, it talks about Sodom and Gomorrah. Read Genesis 18 and 19 where every type of sexual activity that you could conceive of, don't right now, don't do that. But when it, when it comes across your mind, they acted upon it and they were glad about it. And when Lot came, they were like, bring out your daughter's so that we can have our way with it. It was a disgusting, despicable way. But Billy Graham said that if the way things are right now, and Billy Graham has been gone for a bit, but the way things are right now, that if God doesn't judge our country, then he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Because the same things are going on right now. I know we want to think of of, of America as a new Israel. No, America is a new Rome. America is a new Babylon and, and sometimes churches are embracing this type of sexual immorality in a way to be open and affirming. No, 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 no. We have to be, we have to affirm what God and His design affirms because otherwise we are not, we are giving, we are pulling God down and saying, God's okay with you sinning. And we're going to endorse that because we want to be liked and we want to be at the cool kids table. We've got to be reminded of what's going on here. Do you think that Christians need to be reminded of the judgment to come? I think so. And we need to be reminded of 
what happens when we drift and we stray. Because that's what, again, I want to remind you, though, you once fully knew it. You can partially know it, but we want you to fully know it. That God has our best in mind. He's not giving you a blank check to do whatever you want, and you call it grace. He has our best in mind. So this is where now we need to be looking at being rooted. Rooted. And we get in verse 8. Let me look at, let's just look at verses 8 to 10. We're going to take it as it comes. Yet in like manner, these people. Now, who are these people? These are the people that are talked about in verse 4. The certain people that are creeping in um, unnoticed. Unbeknownst to those that are already in the church. So they're relying on their dreams. They defile the flesh. They reject authority. They blaspheme the glorious ones. And then you're going to have the example of Michael. There was a dispute between Michael and the devil when Moses, because of his sin, because of his disobedience, he opted, he, he opted to um, get angry. And so God said, look, you're not going into the promised land. You're my example. I called you to do this. You knew better. And so he didn't get the chance to go into the promised land. And apparently there was a dispute between the devil and, and, and Michael the archangel. And Michael the archangel could have said, you dirty so-and-so. You, I can't believe how you could be this way and that way and this way and that way. But Michael didn't do that. He could have been right in what he said, but he didn't do that. He said, the Lord rebuke you. He brought God in on it. Vengeance is mine. Remember that verse? I will repay. Sometimes we want to take vengeance upon ourselves. I have a constitutional right to say everything that's on my mind. You may in this country, but not in the kingdom of God. You do not have a constitutional right to say whatever's on your mind. You need to leave things with God. And so you look at this, Michael contending with the devil. The Lord rebuke you, but these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. So defiling the flesh, rejecting authority, blaspheming the glorious ones. And this is where we have to be real careful because, you know, sometimes we can undermine the word of God by saying something that sounds like it's from God. Right? So you get into a group of, you get into a group, we're going to have a, a members meeting, and someone stands up. Well, I've prayed about this, and God told me. And you know what happens is that we tend to think, well, they prayed about it. Did I pray about it? Well, I, I don't know if I prayed about it as hard as they did. So they prayed about it, God told them. Well, I guess we've got to do that. See, that's what can happen when people creep in unnoticed, gain your respect, gain some influence, and and then all of a sudden they can stand up and say something like that and all of a sudden claim authority that God gave a word. But you've got to remember that just because someone has prayed about it and has come to a conclusion, it could be God, it could be last night's roast beef. And I'm not kidding. It could be some something that's working in the pipes that's making you think, well, this is great. There was one preacher who was like, boy, this was really great. I had an all-night prayer session with the Lord. It was great. Well, his dad comes along, who's a pastor as well, and he's like, um, so have you been on some medicine? Well, yeah, well, I was on some med- What kind of medicine? Well, I was on Sudafed and all that. Well, Sudafed keeps me up. I bet you Sudafed keeps you up. So sometimes we think we've got to be careful not to give somebody, especially God, credit for something that may not be what he's moving. You may be trying to make God into your image and and move forward in a certain way to where you feel pretty confident. But it could be just you because you've set yourself up on your throne and you're trying to enlist God 
to get you to have your way. We've got to be really careful. Sometimes people talk to angels and sometimes people try to, you know, t- cast out demons and they do all. You've got to be really, really careful about that. In Colossians 2, it talks about let no one disqualify you. Insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, uh, going into detail about visions, puffed up, about, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Some people are relying on visions. Some people are relying on this. They're relying on that. And instead of relying on God's word. You say, wait a minute, Why? But that's, that was from a long time ago. God's speaking to me now. God is not going to say anything to you that is not in line with what he's already revealed in his word, ever. And we've got to remember that. And so there's a, a woe it talks about that was pronounced in verse 11. That, that's, a, that's the opposite of a blessing. As grand as a blessing is, that's, his, that's what kind of gravity there is with a woe. And it was talking now, he brings up more examples. I mean, how much of the Old Testament can we get into? Well, a lot. That's why the Old Testament matters. It's three quarters of your Bible. And it says here, woe to them for they walk the way of Cain. Well, you read in Genesis 4, Abel offers his first fruits. Cain, mumbling and grumbling, offers something there. And, and Cain cannot understand why God loved Abel's offering but rejected his And so God reminds him, if you do right, will you not be blessed? But as it is, sin is crouching at the door. You must master him. But the jealousy overcame him and he killed his brother. And that's what can happen to us is that the jealousy, we're walking, we offer God our leftovers and then we're wondering why God doesn't seem to be moving. Offer him your first fruits. I'll tell you this, when you get your check in, you may be thinking, I, I got a lot of bills to pay. I, I get it. We have bills to pay. I got, I got four kids right now in college. Got it. Got it. Right? Got it. Now, God has provided for us all the way. Would we be able to tell God, you know, God, um, I'm not going to give you anything, but, but give me, get at me in about four years, and I'll, 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 we'll make up for it. No, 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 no. You, you give them the first fruits. And I, and I love that conviction that, that Cindy and I have had. She came to that with that same conviction. That's the first to go. And, and he's always taking care of us. I'll give you, I'll give you a, just a quick example. And I shared this with Wynn coming down from the mountain on, uh, on Mount Lindo. You see our face shining. You're coming down from the mountain. And, and when we were, um, but I was telling him, and I've shared this, but it's been a long time is that we were, Cindy and I, I was in between um, ministry positions. It was, it, was right, it was right after one church. We were getting ready to, I was getting ready to go into another church, but we had, uh, we had bills. The bills keep coming, even if the income doesn't. The bills keep coming. And we had $900 that we had no idea where it was coming from. And so when I was telling people of a choice that we made, it was, it was good for us to get out of this ministry position. And I just let, let friends know, just pray for us. Pray for us. It had nine hundred dollars in bills. Got four pieces of mail within the next few days. One was a five hundred dollar check. One was a three hundred dollar check, and one was two fifty dollar checks. Not a math major, but I can add that up. 
That was, that was exactly what we needed, and it carried us over until Cindy got work, and then I got another ministry position, and on we go. So how could I not give back what he, what he has accomplished for us? And, that, and that's, to, that's, where, that's the way of Cain. I'm going to do things my own way. Moving on, Balaam was a prophet uh, for pay. Balak, the king, paid Balaam to prophesy against the people of Israel. And what do you get in return? A talking donkey back at you. Well, I don't believe that. Well, you keep living. You'll see things happen that you're like, well, God's trying to get my attention here, and this donkey's talking to me. And, that's a, and, and so that, that was what's going on. John MacArthur, he put it right. As a prophet for hire, Balaam is a prime illustration of false teachers who love wealth and prestige more than faithfulness or obedience. If you have a television preacher that is preaching to you about health, wealth, and prosperity, they're not going to talk about repentance. The only thing they're going to talk about repentance of is your lack of faith, and that's why God's not blessing you. But that's not how God works. Jesus, remember him? Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Was Jesus disobedient? Was Jesus unfaithful? No. But this is where God was leading him through. And God will be with you on the mountain as well as in the valley. Remember that. Korah, uh, the sons of, who was a cousin of Moses, um, they actually, with 250 people up, went up to Moses and said, that, well, they assembled themselves together. Number 16, they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, you have gone too far. For all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? So they were challenging the calling that God gave Moses, and they were basically saying, we're all in charge. We're all in charge. We all have equal access to the Spirit. What makes you, and I've had people tell me that, right? You know, I, I have just as much Spirit as you do. Well, you know, so, and it was basically because they, they, they didn't want to follow what I was saying, even if it was from Scripture, they didn't want to follow that. So that's why I try to make sure everything is grounded in Scripture that I'm talking about because you're not saying something against me. I'm just delivering the mail. But what ended up happening to them later on, it says, and the earth opened up. This is number 16, verses 32 to 35. And the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. So they all, so all that belonged to them went down alive in the Sheol. That's a word for the pit, the grave. They died. And the earth closed over them, and they perished from, their midst of, from the midst of the assembly. And all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, lest the earth swallow us up. And the fire came out of the Lord and consumed the 250 men offering the incense. You say, how terrible. Boy, I'm glad we don't live in the Old Testament. Yes, we, 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 we live in the kingdom of God. Read Revelation. God does not. That's why I read to you at the beginning. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, there shall he also reap. If a man sows to the flesh, from the flesh will reap what? God shrugged, it's okay. No, we'll reap destruction. But from the Spirit, if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life. So that's why Jude was writing this. Because these false teachers were coming in. Boy, they sounded really good. 
You mean if I do this and God's going to bless me? Yes. You mean that grace is all about just God giving me a blank check and free reign to run and skip through the meadow and do whatever I want? And yes, that's not it at all. It means that he has freed us to obey him. Outside of Christ, we cannot obey him. Now, we may do some good things, but it would be for our glory, not his. But he frees us to obey him. He frees us to pursue him. He frees us for a relationship with him. And he frees us from the execution of judgment against us. God is not one to be trifled with. That's the point. So we get into verse, verses 12 and 13. Look at these. Hidden reefs. Well, boats don't like hidden reefs. That, that's shipwrecks. That's what can happen. These people will shipwreck your faith. And even those that come to the table when we have the Lord's Supper, that's what the love feasts are talking about. You can come to the Lord's table in an unrepentant manner thinking that grace, well, it's all about grace. I can do whatever I want. But you come to the Lord's table in an unrepentant manner. Read 1 Corinthians 11. It says that's why some of you are sick and some of you have died because you're approaching the Lord's table in an unworthy manner, meaning that you have not ascribed his worth to your life. That's worship. It goes on to talk about waterless clouds. Well, waterless clouds, there's not much in waterless clouds to be able to nourish us. Swept along by the wind, fruitless trees, well, there's nothing there to nourish us as well. Boy, it seems like it's really good, but then you start to partake. It's the difference between eating something healthy like fruits and vegetables or eating something that will fill you up but like potato chips. You know, junk food. It fills you up, may make you feel good, but it's not good for you. God gives us, and he spreads a table before us of his mercy and love and grace and yet we want the junk food of the world, then we wonder why we're too full when we come to church to be able to partake of the good stuff that's actually healthy for us. Wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. You see the, the breakers coming, foam arising of their own shame, casting up foam of their own shame. Wandering stars, they're not in the light. We are called to be in the light as he is in the light. But they're wandering stars. They're, they're, they're in darkness. Even as they say they are in the light. So how can you tell? This is where the reconciling peace comes in. This is where you, for your own sake, but also for the people that are around you, you have to know what the faith is. Well, I believe in Jesus. Well, there's a lot of cults out there that say they do as well, but they have a very different view of who Jesus is and what he's done. Some say he's the Archangel Michael. Some say he's this. Some say he's that. I want to know what this says. I want to know what this book says. And so we have to be continually in the book. That's why we offer all of these classes. That's why we offer Sunday school and ladies' Bible studies. And, and so men get together on occasion and, and uh, at the men's breakfast every month. And, and we learn more from the scriptures. That's why we have these times together. That's why before all of the meetings that I lead, we have a devotional. Because we can't be just about business. We've got to be about capital B business. We've got to make sure that our minds are geared for what we are really all about. And be reminded that we're to connect all people to the truth and hope in Jesus. But you, you look on the reconciling piece 
where it talks about, again, Enoch. This is in, in Deuteronomy. Enoch, the seventh son of Adam, prophesied, verse 14, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones, that's his angels, to do what? To execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And so when you're looking at verse 16 now, the grumblers, well, that was the, that was the mindset of the people of Israel walking from Egypt to the promised land, grumbling and mumbling, mumbling and grumbling over and over and over again to where Moses was taxed. And God was taxed too on occasion. Malcontents. You have a problem being happy? Does everybody seem to bother you? If everybody seems to bother you, I'll tell you what someone told me when I had that kind of attitude. Hey, you know what the common denominator is? If everybody else is bothering you, you're the common denominator. That's your filter. You're a malcontent. You don't, you aren't, you aren't happy or content about anything that happens. You can't see the good in very much, unless it's you. You see the good in you. You see the terrible in everybody else. Why can't they get their act together? And on and on. You, you, you can read the list here where it talks about following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. Why is he bringing this? Because this is stuff that happens to us every day. Instead of us, you know, we're looking at, wow, Cain, you're an idiot. Wow, Balaam, what are you thinking? Wow, Enoch, oh my goodness, what? You, you know, you're looking at all of these things. You're like, wow, these guys really need to get their act together. And then Jude gives us the old, ha-ha, on verse 16. And he says, how many of you are grumblers? Well, you're, you're in this number. And you are walking a very tight line. How many of you are malcontents? How many of you follow your own sinful desires? Well, God's a God of grace, right? What's the big deal? He's a God of grace to bring you to where he would have you to be, not to give you a blank check. We've said that before. We'll say it again. Loudmouth boasters showing favoritism to gain an advantage. You're, you're about you. You're all about you. And that's what was happening here. Everybody was about them. And what happened was as they boasted, and they rejected authority because they were in authority. They blasphemed the holy ones because they don't know what's going on, and I can't really see them anyway. I'm going to be in charge, and I'm going to tell them what to do because there's some, version, there's some versions of Christianity that say I can tell God what to do. And they blaspheme, they reject authority. We are all walking that line, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to lead the God I love. But here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. So who, who is he talking to? He's talking to us who say we're followers of Jesus. But our lives bear fruit to who we truly call. Remember bearing fruit. It's not just a decision. It's bearing the fruit to show what that decision truly was. Contend for the faith. Not just because you want to win a battle against those out there contend for the faith because you're battling yourself and you may have come in here struggling with some sort of sin some sort of issue and you say i can't get over it i can't do it i, I it keeps defeating me or you may be even a worse shape you're saying i don't care i'm gonna do what i want beware if you're the latter if you're the former that is God working in you 
because there's a fight going on to bring you to where he would have you to be. Your flesh and the spirit battle. But I'm telling you, if you're a Christian, sin does no, lo- no longer has to have dominion over you. He gives you the church and he gives you his word. He gives you himself to be able to win. I'm just saying keep fighting, keep contending, keep getting after it. Every day, every hour, every way that you can, think, pray, live by what God has called you to do. He's promised to be there. He's promised to never leave you or forsake you. He's promised to give you, as Ephesians 1 says, that resurrection power. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead has promised to be yours to help you to fight sin. But if you just cruise, yeah, man, I'm all right. No big deal. I'll get past this conviction. I'll get past this. It'll be a big deal. You're, you're treading in quicksand. So I'm going to ask you to repent this morning if that's you. Well, what's other people going to say? Don't worry about them. You have one in heaven. He's all that matters. And he's told you what the line is. But he's also given you himself to give you strength in the process. Those of you that are followers of Jesus and you seem to have gotten some victory over some things and got a handle on some things, I just want to tell you the reason that God has done that for you is not for you to say, oh goody, now I can just move along. He's actually done that for you so that you can, as Galatians 6, 1 and 2 talked about, you can come alongside somebody else and help them. It is impossible for us to do this by ourselves. It's not just hard. It's impossible. We need each other so very desperately. We need Christ so very desperately. Thankfully, he has given us all the tools we need to overcome and not to get into this, the consequences of the ones we've talked about. He's given us all the information we need. Let's make sure that we are going and repenting and trusting in Christ with all we have. So, Heavenly Father, I come to you asking you on behalf of, uh, of, of these folks that are here, I pray, Father, that you would send your Holy Spirit to help turn on the light and show us where we are. Show us areas that we need to take care of. But also, if, if you are truly Lord or if we just have some concept of you and really don't have a relationship with you, Lord, you're not there to fill in the gaps. You're there to throw away all the gaps and all the old stuff, all the sin, all the selfishness, and and you have promised to make all things new. Make us new, Lord. Help us to do business with you while the opportunity is here. In Jesus' name, amen. So, this is a time where we commit our lives to Christ. We We are getting ready to sing a song it's 294 in the hymnal if you want to do that, but there's also going to be words up on the screen. And it's a prayer. It's a prayer that implements some old English language, but I bet you can understand it very easily. And it's one that says, have thine own way, Lord. You're the potter, I'm the clay. Mold me and make me. I mean, it's, it's a song where it's saying, Lord, I'm yours. Do with me what you will because I know it's going to be good. It's going to be good for me and for those around me. Let's stand together as we sing. Mm-hmm.